0: All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Pete McLeod, and we're going to talk about football. I think we, we dubbed this the pigskin postseason edition. Is that right, Pete?
1: Yeah, love a little alliteration.
0: Yeah, so pigskin postseason coming to you right here on Third String Podcast. We've got a lot to talk about today. We took last week off, so thanks for bearing with us through a week off. Uh, last week, we were both on the road for work. So, uh, not as fun as it would have been if we were recording this instead, but, uh, Pete, how was your, how was your work trip?
1: It was good. It was good. For uh, our regular listeners, they know that I'm on the road to Vegas a lot. And boy, over the last 10 days, which is about how long I was gone, there is no more interesting place. I uh, use the word interesting on purpose uh, to, to be there to watch football. Standing in the uh, the Westgate Sportsbook during the, uh, the National Championship game was interesting. Watching fans uh, living and dying with... Uh, georgia and bama and then a a pretty exciting wild card weekend all the underdogs covered the spread which uh vegas probably did not appreciate so much no not at all uh, another exciting weekend that just ended so it was it was good out there and a little warmer temperatures for me but how about you you were uh, staying in texas right
0: i was yeah i went to uh, balmy san antonio and i was bummed because there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of sports stuff going on there of course there's no pro football team and, uh, there's the Spurs, which is great, but they were out of town the whole time I was there. So I wasn't able to catch a Spurs game, but I saw that you did place a bet, uh, turned out to be a winning bet on the North Dakota State University Bison. So I, I sure
1: did. I sure did. Our expert who, uh, who gave us some sound advice, uh, definitely, uh, won me, uh, 950. So I'll be sure to, to buy a Chipotle burrito next time I'm in Fargo for our buddy.
0: And 950, is that $9.50 or is that $950? <laughs>
1: uh unfortunately nine dollars <laughs> and 50 cents but you know it, it felt like 950 because i had some other uh poorly placed bets specifically on some of my picks which it probably is a good time for me to say that i went zero and four on our wild card weekends yeah so, well uh, i
0: didn't i didn't do much better i went one and three and the only one i got right was the north carolina or the carolina panthers new orleans saints game which really could have gone either way i felt like watching that game
1: it was uh it was a pretty wild wild card week and I know we're about 8 days removed from it now but uh it was it was something. It's it's been an interesting couple of weeks in sports that I think uh, I think Vegas has lost a little money. Uh, I think uh the the pundits who seemingly know everything about every sport have struggled a little. And you know what? Uh that, that makes me feel a little better after going 0-4. Uh, I think the only prediction uh, I've gotten right, which is one that you and our buddy Joel also got right, was the uh, the Bama winning it all in the college football playoff. So it's it's been interesting, but it's been almost a painful interesting.
0: Yeah, well, let's start off with that. So our off-the-bench segment, let's talk about college football. How do you feel about Nick Saban winning yet another national championship?
1: Well, I mean, rooting for Bama is something that I don't think many of us would ever find ourselves doing. But... As I was thinking about watching that game and watching people losing money as, as people uh, started messing around with the spread as that game went into overtime uh, last week, I was really thinking about the the Nick Saban era. And of course, ESPN loves mentioning that he now has six national championships, five at Alabama, one at LSU, uh, which ties him with Bear Bryant for six championships overall. Right. Uh, and, and you have to look at the other coaches out there, and there's just no one... I think you could contend uh, really in any sport right now who's coming close to the dominance of Nick Saban, except Bill Belichick. Uh, and I think Bill Belichick has had uh, some fortunate things helping him out with, obviously, the continuance of Tom Brady. I think he's had some great offensive weapons in New England. But you look at the, the challenges of a college football program uh, and the, the turnover that he deals with, and as much as I don't like seeing Alabama win, I'm actually starting to come around a little on Nick Saban, and I still don't think that he's the world's greatest dude, but I think that he is a fantastic football coach who has really demonstrated how to be dominant in a sport that is – it doesn't have the parity I think we want it to, but it's a sport that really should have the parity that we would expect with all the turnover from athletes. So uh, it was – it was a weird year, and I think that national championship for Alabama kind of encapsulated that weird year. Uh, and I think we do have to tip our caps to Nick Saban and the fact that he is just a good football coach. I mean, he changed his starting quarterback at halftime of the national championship, and they won. I mean, he's he's had four different offensive coordinators in the last 18 months, and they won a national championship. And they almost won it last year, and they won it the year before. I mean, he's he's a fantastic coach. Say what you will about him as a dude. I thought it was pretty funny when he said that this is the happiest he's ever been in his entire life after he beat Georgia, Uh, but I I don't hate it as much as I did in the moment last Monday night. How about you?
0: I mean, I I hate it quite a bit. It's just the parody issue. Yeah, sure. I respect Saban. He's, He's at least in the conversation for the greatest college football coach of all time, and it's always fun when we see a legend being made right before our eyes, and I'll be able to tell my kids that I lived through the Nick Saban era and I saw him work his magic and yeah it's amazing to see him win with a freshman QB who's playing the first meaningful snaps of his life after halftime in the college football playoff national championship and I mean yeah he's he's an amazing guy uh as far as his coaching abilities go but I'm just sick of Alabama dominating college football I uh I, I don't know how else to say it
1: so we'll, we'll get into NFL discussions here in a few minutes, but do you have the same thoughts about Bill Belichick and the, the Patriots? Is it just because we hate these dominant teams, the Yankees, the Patriots, Bama, uh, who, whoever we want to talk about in these sports? Are we just, as Americans, always rooting for the underdog? Is that why we dislike Alabama so much, or is it the way that they win that we don't like it, that they always get the five-star recruits? They always seem to be cutthroat from start to finish and Nick Saban always seems to beat up a former head uh, a former assistant coach excuse me to win it all. What what do what is it we hate about Alabama?
0: Yeah, I think we just hate the winning. I mean, because when we're talking about uh, we'll get there. Like you said, when we talk about the Patriots and Belichick and Brady, the Belichick Brady connection, when we talk about that, it's just frustrating because they're so dominant. And yeah, I guess if I if I'm a born and bred Patriots fan, I love it. Just like if I was born in Alabama and grew up rooting for the Tide, I'd love that too, but I didn't, and so I don't. Just because I want to see more parity. it's not a fun sport if you always know who's going to come out on top. I mean, uh, I was talking about the NBA a couple of weeks ago and uh, mentioned how the NBA finals have had the, the same you know the same player in the finals for 10 years in a row with LeBron James, and the last three years have had the same teams in the finals, and, and there's a, there's a point at which it gets frustrating to watch after that. So uh, I think for that reason I, I just did not like seeing Alabama win at all, but I have to say I saw it coming so. When we talked with, with Joel on Third Stream Podcast a few weeks ago, I said Alabama's going to come out on top, and, and here, here they did. Um, but yeah, let's, mention, let's talk about this, this quarterback a little bit. So Jalen Hurts comes out, uh, kind of lays an egg the first half of the game. He's not looking confident. He's not doing well. There's some talk that maybe he got a concussion, and that's why he was pulled. But he's pulled and he replaced by uh, this freshman QB phenom from Hawaii. Same school, actually. High school is Marcus Mariota. Tua Tagovailoa, I think is the pronunciation a dual-threat quarterback, the top-rated dual-threat quarterback in his class when he was recruited, and this guy absolutely lights it up. So what do you think Alabama's future looks like with him under center?
1: I mean, based on his performance in the second half of that game, it looks bright. I do think it's worth noting that Kirby Smart uh, is a great defensive mind, and his teams are known for making fantastic halftime adjustments, and I think you have to chalk a little of this up to the surprise factor that Jalen Hurts was hurt for most of the season. Jalen Hurts was also I mean, underperforming for a Bama quarterback, but still having a great year. And I think that Georgia defense was built specifically to defend against Jalen Hurts. And as Tua came in and started changing up that game plan, they were just way too slow to adjust. And the fact that they let Bama hang around as long as they did, uh, that they couldn't put them away in the first half with the interceptions uh, and the the missed conversions on third down over and over again, Georgia just couldn't take advantage of it. And I I think that the future looks bright for Bama, but we do have a quarterback controversy. And I mean, what what good would an offseason be if we didn't have coaching carousels and quarterback controversies, right? So I, I think the question really becomes... Does Jalen Hurts stay at Alabama and continue challenging for this starting job, uh, or is Jalen Hurts pretty much out of the Bama mix now and moving forward? And what does that do to the team chemistry? Because the team really seemed to respond to Jalen Hurts, and I'm sure they'll respond to the, the freshman rising sophomore. Uh, but overall, we're we're looking at a chemistry change coming up here in Tuscaloosa.
0: Well, what do, what do you think here? Do you think Tua uh, is the starting quarterback for 2018?
1: Yeah, I I think he has to be. Um, it's it's just you look at him winning on the biggest stage in college football in the most unexpected way to to come in at halftime after like you said not having a meaningful snap all year i don't really know if you're nick saban how you don't move on from jalen hurts and start moving forward in 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 this direction it it just yeah i i don't have a good reason other than tua just has the worst spring and summer in Tuscaloosa history, and he's got to revert back to Jalen Hurts, that uh, y- you can't talk about the pressure being too much for this young kid. Uh, I think unless he comes out and lays an egg in the first few games, the the days of Jalen Hurts,
0: as the starting center in Tuscaloosa are over. So here's the follow-up question then. Does Jalen Hurts transfer?
1: I would not be surprised. I honestly have no idea where he would go, though. Obviously, every school would love to have a quarterback like him, but at the same time, he's he's carrying a little bit of baggage at this point, right? Yeah. So... I I think it would be in his best interest to transfer. I would really like to hear what the conversations are uh, going into spring ball and how they start posturing that that team. But what do you think? I I just am not smart enough on the the SEC quarterback situation now to even know where he would go. Yeah,
0: I'm not I'm not sure, and I'm not smart enough on on I guess sort of the Alabama dynamics there. I mean, what's does does he buy into the Nick Saban team first mentality enough to step aside for this quarterback, even if it might mean derailing what he wants to be his eventual professional career i i don't know i and i don't know enough about jalen hurts to make an educated guess about where he ends up i do i do agree with you though that two will be the starting quarterback i think that that alabama so jalen hurts is a very athletic guy but jalen hurts to me always seemed more like a derrick henry than a than an aj mccarron and that he was definitely a run first qb um, I'm looking at his stats for this year. He threw 24 passes in a game twice. That was on the 4th of November against Louisiana State, L- uh, LSU. I just read it, which is why I said Louisiana State. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking it was Louisiana Tech. But, so against LSU, he threw 24 passes, and against Clemson in the uh, semifinal, he threw 24 passes. Those were obviously complete games or close to it. Um, Tua, on the other hand, comes into this second half of this Georgia game and throws 24 passes uh, in a half. So he's a, he's a pass first quarterback, although he also shows the mobility that, that you'd want in a mobile quarterback with, uh, 12 attempts for 27 yards. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he's done that similarly when he, when he's coming in the season before he came into the Tennessee game and threw 12 passes, completed nine of them. He rushed four times for 36 yards. So I don't know. I mean, I think I think this is going to change Alabama's offense quite a bit and in some ways make them more lethal because they have a more accurate passer who can throw the D ball. And we saw that in the dagger in overtime when he uh, completed that beautiful pass uh, over the Georgia secondary to the the freshman wide receiver whose name is escaping me. But uh, I think Alabama looks sadly even more scary going forward to 2018.
1: So. I will say something about Jalen hurts before we move off the topic that I think has to be said just as a college football fan. Uh, I cannot imagine standing on the sidelines in the fourth quarter and watching my team mount this incredible comeback without me after I've been benched and still appear positive, uh, and then be one of the first guys running out on the field. And did you see that interview with Tom Rinaldi afterwards, uh, where he's talking to him about him getting benched? And, you know, I, I obviously don't know much about this kid, uh, but I I think it's pretty clear to say that either his parents raised him right or he's been coached right or all the above. That kid handled that situation with more class than I can ever imagine having or can really imagine 95% of college-aged people performing in that situation, yeah. let alone athletes or anything else. He was a class act in that situation. And the fact that he wasn't pouting, he was cheering. And then he stood there like a man and had that interview with Tom Rinaldi. Uh, I think if you are wondering mentally where Jalen Hurts is at, he has to be an A-plus right now in anyone who's talking to him. Uh, and hopefully something that, that helps his stock, whether it's in Tuscaloosa or another school here soon. I was just, man, my, my heart went out to that kid. And I don't feel bad for Alabama athletes very often, but Watching his team rise up without him after he'd been benched, not hurt, but benched uh, and then be their, their lead cheerleader was awesome to see. And that's the kind of thing that we, we joke about talking with our kids about seeing the Nick Saban era. But those are the kind of things that you hope the younger kids out there are watching and, and taking note of that this kid, it didn't go right for him, but the, the sportsmanship shown through. And I think in a way he was he was vindicated a little by that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's pretty, pretty good to see. Um, I do have to mention this to my friend, uh, Will, who is on Twitter, at Will Brez, B-R-E-Z. Uh, he was watching the the championship game and saw the end of the game when uh, Nick Saban got a Chevy Corvette, and he said, congrats on an unbelievable performance tonight, Tua. You have been named MVP of the game. In true spirit of college sports, we'll be giving Nick Saban a 2019 Chevy Corvette on your behalf. <laughs> and uh, I, thought, I thought that was pretty accurate. Um. Yeah. The, the you know the player. Yeah. Tua goes out like that and p- puts this impressive performance. Really, one for the ages. And then Nick Saban gets his Chevy Corvette. So, uh <laughs> only in college sports do we see and, that. And
1: and why on earth would Nick Saban ever go back to the NFL? I think we've probably already had that There's, there's, no, I missed way. It last there's week. no way. There's <laughs> no Why why would you leave? I put in eighteen year olds and I get a Corvette. That's no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not leaving.
0: Man. Um. All right. Well, let's move on and talk NFL. Let's briefly talk wild card. So you mentioned you went 0 and 4. I was right behind you. Went 1 and 3. Although don't feel too bad. Bill Simmons uh, of The Ringer also went 0 and 4 in his in his predictions. Uh, but we had uh, we had quite a lineup of games. Um, they, they were pretty underwhelming. So what 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 did we miss? Uh, what struck you as something to pay attention to for, uh, for the future? So
1: not only am I going to eat a little crow for my own four prediction, but I was pretty negative on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I thought the Falcons in no way uh, had a chance against the young Rams. We mentioned really briefly that maybe the fact that the Rams had no experience in the postseason could hurt them a little, but I thought with Sean McVay and that outstanding offense, yeah. uh, those dudes were going to be unstoppable. And the Atlanta Falcons not only won that wild card game, uh, but I, I think that they put up a pretty good fight against your Eagles on Saturday night as well. And I, I have to admit, I thought the Matt Ryan era in Atlanta was over. I thought the Falcons were burning out quickly. I think that they are still going to be a legitimate contender hanging around. They clearly have some rebuilding to do, but that offense isn't in the tatters I thought it was after Kyle Shanahan left.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, even looking at the stats, I'm still not quite sure how this game was as lopsided as the score made it look. Uh, Matt Ryan passed for 218 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Jared Goff passed for more yards, 259, one touchdown, no interceptions. Todd Gurley rushed for over 100 yards, um, and his, his rushing number was just under the combined numbers of Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, who were the leading rushers for the Falcons. So it really looks like the Rams on paper out, outplayed the Falcons, but the Falcons won by two possessions, and it's something that I certainly did not see coming. I thought Sean McVay uh, and Todd Gurley and Jared Goff would run away with this one. I thought we'd see a score more like the opposite, you know, 26-13 to 13 in the Rams' favor, but that is obviously not what happened. I think kind of unfortunate because the Rams were more fun to watch. Uh, maybe fortunate for an Eagles fan like me because I think the, the Falcons were a less formidable opponent um, uh, on the uh, divisional weekend, but there it is. We missed it.
1: Yeah, not not the first, not the last time, right? <laughs> no, certainly, certainly not. <laughs> what uh, what stood out to you, my friend?
0: Uh, so Titans Chiefs. I just have to say this. We we called the Chiefs to win because the Chiefs, I think, were by far the superior team. I mean, think about this: the Chiefs, of course, beat the Patriots opening weekend this season, and then the Titans beat them by a point uh, in the card weekend, and the Titans just get smothered by the Patriots yesterday, thirty five to fourteen, really thirty five to seven, because that last touchdown doesn't really count. Um. But the Chiefs, the Chiefs go in with a 21-3 a to 3 lead into halftime and then come out and decide to stop playing offense. Of course, Travis Kelsey's injured, which doesn't help, but the Chiefs just play this conservative brand of football. I don't even know if conservative actually is the right way to, to phrase it. I mean, not giving Kareem Hunt uh, the ball is, isn't conservative. That's just kind of dumb. Um, so I don't know. We, the Chiefs laid an Andy Reid. I mean, I I said this could happen. I, I predicted the the Chiefs would win, but I said the caveat to that is you never know because it's an Andy Reid team, and Andy Reid does not do the playoffs. So yeah, no, um, you
1: uh you called that part pretty much uh, on on the nose. It it looked like the Chiefs. You remember that game in in early 2014 when it was the Chiefs versus the Colts on a wild card weekend? Yeah. The Chiefs had. Uh, a 20-something point lead at halftime and just failed to come out of the locker room again. I don't know if there's something at Arrowhead. I mean, there's all the rumors about what has been buried in those grounds over the years. The Arrowhead flu? Boy, they yeah, it's a thing. It traveled outside of Vegas. (laughs) But it only affects the
0: home team very oddly, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Maybe it's something in the locker.
0: They've got some black mold growing in their locker room or something, the home team locker room.
1: If if I were the Chiefs, I would think about mailing in the last four games of the season next year uh, to make sure that they play an away game in the playoffs. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um. Okay, so Saints-Panthers, what do you think of that? Did you see this concussion controversy with Cam Newton getting the, quote, visor in his eye and collapsing on the field? And I, then, and- I
1: saw a little. I, s- spin me up on it real quick. I, I caught a little bit, but not enough to speak to it intelligently. He, yeah,
0: so he he takes a shot. I, I don't even remember who the defender was who, who gave him the shot. Maybe it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was Manta Teo, actually. Um, so he takes a shot, gets up, and then he's jogging out the field, and then he falls down on all fours, basically, and has to have a trainer come over. And the Saints, or the, the Panthers' official explanation was that his visor had gotten dislodged and stuck in his eye. And so the NFL did this investigation, and I just saw a headline two days ago, uh, a source close to the investigation said that the the Panthers are also saying that he had a knee injury like a pre-existing knee injury and that's also why he fell but like if you look at the if you look at the clip it doesn't really look like uh he, th- there is a knee injury that affected it at all um it looks like he's having some some problems and I don't know about the visor explanation it does not jive with with what you with what you see on the on the camera yeah
1: i i agree so i don't know i, I just I...
0: I just mentioned that to say like it's it's uh Kem's kem has gotta take care of himself like he's he's fun to watch he's dynamic but he's got to stop putting himself in those situations where he gets destroyed he's got to be protected by the refs and he's got to be protected by his own team because it's it's maybe all well and good now when he's young and dynamic and can bounce back but um it's not gonna be funny when he's 50 and has a really bad case of cte and uh you know has early onset park early onset parkinson's or something like that and it's sad that the league's not protecting him well enough it's sad that the uh panthers if it's what it looked like and it really did look like he had a bad concussion if the panthers are letting him go back out in the field like it's a huge disservice to him as a player and as a person
1: that's that's the part that upsets me is obviously we don't know the conversations in the locker room but overall and we've we've hammered it on on this show here over the last couple months but how many times are we seen guys go out there still very visibly injured or shaken up and continue to take snaps i get it it's the playoffs but like you said these These guys are not going to take themselves out. This is not only... Their passion, uh, but it's it's their livelihood and their way of life. And I mean, look at look at Sam Bradford in Minnesota right now. I mean, he goes down with a devastating injury, supposed to be the future of this franchise, or Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota, yep. uh, and this relatively unknown guy named Case Keenum, who we all know can sling it, but whatever, he's never going to win anything. Comes out, and I don't think there's any way the Vikings will give up Case Keenum here over the next couple of years, based on where they're at. I mean, that we as fans have to demand more, and NFL front offices have to be more accountable to the fact that these guys are going to do whatever it takes to stay in the game and they have to start taking some kind of action because the brand is frankly uh just disgusting when we think about what we are allowing these guys to do and we continue to put our butts in the seats we continue to watch it on tv it's it's upsetting it's it's one of those things that as a parent you think i am i going to want my kids exposed to that going forward that that's a much more philosophical discussion but yeah, i i think I maybe, think maybe the after the, the season
0: we should have a longer like a retrospective discussion of this cuz i think about this on an almost daily basis like what you know I, t- I talk about football i watch football i make a podcast about football i write about football at, w- at what point am i supporting a sport that's not actually doing good things you know i mean i think i think sports do good things they unite people they they give people something to talk about their dinner table fodder um, they're they purely enjoyable uh, in many cases, but if I'm if the league is not protecting its people, then that's not not something I want to be supporting. And so we maybe we should have a longer conversation about this and explore this from every angle. I think there are there are efforts that are being made by the league and people close to it to improve player safety, but what's unclear to me is if these efforts are p- merely for appearance sake or if they're actually having some substantive effect. And uh, maybe we should dig into that a little bit. But we can move on from this topic. Let's talk about the Jaguars. Um, we, the one wildcard game we've not talked about is Jaguars-Bills. And uh, it wasn't a good game. It was pretty ugly. Tyrod Taylor, who I was supporting. I am supporting. Uh, but I was supportive of him earlier this, uh, earlier in our podcast. Uh, Long live Tyrod Taylor was the, was the hashtag um Yeah,
1: we we tried to make that a thing, and it hasn't caught yet. It hasn't. It yet, hasn't no, we'll, I'm, we'll keep. I'm it still
0: waiting. Yeah, when the maybe when there's trade rumors that crop up, it'll we we can revive it again.
1: Tyrod but, to Washington. That's right. That yeah, a rumor Long two. live Tyrod let's Taylor.
0: It. And it was really sad. I mean, like the second to last play of the game, he gets rocked really hard. Looks like he sustained a concussion. Um, fortunately, he did not play another snap. um But he just looked off all game. I thought the Jaguars really had him kind of backpedaling. I thought his throws were lacking confidence. He was missing wide open receivers. So it's not surprising to me that the Bills did not get into a rhythm. What was surprising to me was that the Jaguars were only able to score 10 points against against Buffalo. Now, Buffalo has an okay defense, but they're not an elite defense. They're not a defense that should have kept the, the Jaguars to, to only 10 points. And fast forward to yesterday when the Jaguars scored 45 against the Steelers. Like I, I don't even know what to expect from this Jaguars team going forward because every week we get a different version of them. We get the version that's losing to the 49ers and allowing 47 points to the Niners. We get the version that's allowing the Bills to only score three points, and then we get the version that's allowing the Steelers to almost come back and win that game after they, won, uh, after they led by 21 points uh, and only win by the narrow margin of three, 45-42. So what do you think about the, about the Jaguars going forward? Their next opponent, of course, is the Patriots. I don't know what to make of this matchup um, on the heels of that wild game in Pittsburgh yesterday.
1: I, I think the Jaguars are easily the most emotional and inexperienced team we have in the field right now. I know that it's it's been a hot second since the Vikings or the Eagles were in this position, but you look at the way the Jaguars got here, and we, we've talked about it a few times over the past couple months that the Jaguars have become the exciting team, but the Jaguars seem to live and die off the trash-talking uh, from other teams, not from them, but from other teams about how the Jaguars don't belong. Uh, and they, they really seem to seize on the fact that everyone counts them out. I think that makes them an interesting choice going forward against the the Patriots. Uh, I think the Patriots are, we'll we'll get into it here a little more in a few. I think they'll be able to, to rise above that emotional high and low of the Jaguars. But I think that they are still really trying to find their way. I think they had a couple bounces go their way uh, yesterday against the Steelers. I think the Steelers uh, had some unbelievably bad coaching decisions uh, and I think that they got let down on a couple different fronts as well to help the Jaguars but yeah I I don't know what to make of this this game right now I don't think it's going to be particularly close against the Patriots but I think literally everyone who watches football is thinking the exact same thing except the Jaguars right now so that can make it a little more fun Uh, I I really don't know what to say about this team other than they are living and dying every moment of every game which it's got to be exhausting. Like, they're they're going to run out of gas here soon. But for for the sake of the game, I, I hope that they continue to get up and, and stay emotional and stay in it against the Patriots going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that in some ways, the Jaguars winning this game is more of a problem for the Patriots than the Steelers. Because everyone wanted they were trumpeting the Steelers, Patriots matchup. A lot of people saw it as inevitable because the AFC in general is not very strong. So... Steelers and the Patriots were what what was going to happen and it was going to be in Foxborough and there was going to be a lot of juice for the game and then the Jaguars come out and pounce on the Steelers in Pittsburgh and have set themselves up to face off with New England and in in Jacksonville I see something really interesting in that the defense I think matches up very well against the Patriots they have really good pass rushers against a Patriots offensive line that's not very good uh, and against a, a Tom Brady, who's a lot more skittish this year. Just, I mean, understandably so. He's 40 years old, trying to pres- trying to preserve his own health. But he is much more uh, liable to take a check down this year than we've seen in the past when he has a pass rusher in his face. Um, and on top of that, they have a really good secondary who can shut down the more the more aggressive wide receivers like Brandon Cooks can take, take off uh, some of the ability of those deep routes to stretch the field. So... I don't know. I think this is going to be a really good matchup. I'm not going to sleep on the Jaguars in this. I'm not ready to predict the Jaguars' win at this point. Um, I want to think about it a little more this week and and review some All-22. But I think the Jaguars and Patriots is a really intriguing matchup for the AFC Championship. What do you think?
1: I agree. When you when you look at the stats between these two teams, I mean, uh, obviously there's three wins between the Patriots and the Jaguars, which separates them a little on paper, but uh twenty eight point six points a game to twenty-six point one points a game, Patriots over the Jaguars, so call that two and a half points right there. Total yards is only separated by twenty-five, with the Patriots getting a little over four hundred and the Jags getting about three seventy-five. Uh the Jaguars have the better rushing attack by a lot. 140 yards a game to one eighteen a game. Obviously Leonard Fournette made a huge huge deal for the Jaguars yesterday when he was on the field. Also, when he was not on the field, we saw them struggle quite a bit. Um, but I, I totally agree with what you said that you, you can't sleep on this team. Uh, I think, the, the rushing attack of that Jaguars and the defense of the Jaguars is what's going to keep him in it. Let's, let's be honest here. Blake Bortles is not going to come out and throw for 400 yards against this Patriots offense. This is not going to be the game that we all remember Blake Bortles from, even if the Jaguars find a way to win this. I still don't think Blake Bortles is the way of the, the Jaguars' future. Uh, I think you and I are in agreement that he's a mediocre at best quarterback, but I, I think like you said, when you peel this one back and get off the top layer of the almighty Patriots who, uh, seems like they can't lose a game even when they try, uh, in the playoffs versus the Jaguars who haven't been relevant in 17 years. I, I think this will be a better game than we're, we're initially giving it credit for. And the Jaguars probably picked up about 20 million fans yesterday when people started realizing, oh no, it's not going to be Patriot Steelers. And we are planning on rooting for the Steelers. Right Now we got to root for the Jaguars against the Patriots.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I think yeah, I, I don't know. I think uh the last betting line I saw was uh Patriots by 9. Uh and I th- I think that I'd have to go with Jacksonville in that case cuz I don't think they're going to win this game by 9. I think they'll probably win this game. Again, I'm shying away from making a prediction. Maybe I just want to hedge. But uh yeah, I don't I don't I think it's I think it'll be close. I think we'll see this decided by 7 7 points or fewer. But that's just my initial take right now. I think a lot depends you mentioned the rushing attack that Jacksonville has much better than New England's a lot depends on Leonard Furness' health he hurt hurt his ankle in the Steelers game yesterday um, yep. came back into the game and was looking okay but um, that's that's someone who's impressive to watch he's a fierce runner and a lot of times you think he's wrapped up and then he'll break free for another three yards or be able to, to pull some sort of spin move to get that crucial bit of extra yardage I think if he's going against the Patriots um, that will be interesting uh, and his health will factor a lot into my thinking over the outcome of this game so with
1: the line being pats by nine, you're taking the Jaguars right now? Yeah, I think so. To to cover? Yeah, how about camp? you? Uh, I'm going to take the Patriots. I think I think he will be close in the first half. I think the Patriots will put this one away by probably 17 points. When it's so all done. you
0: don't believe Jalen Ramsey when he guaranteed a Super Bowl victory?
1: Uh, I like Jalen Ramsey <laughs> as a player. I think he is a fantastic quarterback. Uh but no, I'm, uh, I'm going to disagree with him on this one. But, you all know, right. he makes a lot more money than I do. So he's clearly a lot That's, smarter yeah, with his I finances know, right? than uh, I am. <laughs> all
0: right. So the other stuff we saw this weekend, Philadelphia, Atlanta, we already mentioned that a little bit. I obviously had, had a vested interest in that game as an Eagles fan. And then Vikings Saints, which I think we got to talk about. Let's just start off with that one. Did you watch the game yesterday?
1: I I did, and my neighbors probably heard me yelling in those last eleven seconds. I, I think
0: the eleven seconds were amazing. Really, the whole last three minutes of that game, maybe the best three minutes of football I've ever seen.
1: It it was it was a lot of fun, and I think unless you were a diehard Vikings or a diehard Saints fan, it was just fun. Oh, absolutely. And I bet yeah. Even if you were a diehard fan on either side of that, it was still fun. It was heartbreaking. If you're in New Orleans today, I'm sure. Uh, but I mean, that's just, that's your, worst nightmare, right? I mean,
0: you, you go ahead with that field goal at the end, uh, as a saints fan and you think this is it, all we have to do 25
1: seconds and one timeout in Minnesota, there's no way they should have been able to do it. Yeah.
0: All we have to do is not let case Keenum get them within field goal range and Kai Forbath, our kicker was not looking confident. So, I mean, really you think that's it. We won the game. Breeze got us to right to where we needed to be. We kicked the field goal. We're done. We're going to face Philly. Uh, and, then, and then the unthinkable happens. And, I mean, it's not even like, I mean, I think I saw some Vikings fans posting about this amazing heave by Case Keenum. It wasn't even that. I mean, no. if, if uh, Stefan Diggs is tackled there, that's game. Uh, yeah. If he's tackled in bounds, it's game. Um, there's just sort of just a, a freak combination of factors that led to him not being tackled by Marcus Williams uh and being able to just run down the sideline for a touchdown an easy touchdown
1: marcus williams played a, a great game he did over there yeah. uh as well he a pick, I, right? I feel so bad for this kid i really do and if you look at the way he's making that tackle i think it's very clear he doesn't want to get a pass interference call so yep. he's not going to get there early yep. uh, and he's also the angle he takes i think and granted uh i would die on a football field. Uh, but I think he's trying to make that hit to keep Stefan Diggs in bounds no matter what. So he's kind of twisting his body already while trying not to get there early. I I feel so bad for this kid that it looked like he was trying to do absolutely everything right. And hopefully they're not running him out of town in New Orleans this week. Right. But oh you feel for that kid. Yeah,
0: totally uh it so was tough. As, as an so Eagles as fan it was tough watching it I mean I, I wasn't sure who I wanted to face more the Vikings or the Saints I'm still not sure am I should I be happy that the Vikings won or should I be sad that the Saints lost Ooh,
1: so, this is tough this is tough and I think you and I are going to have diverging picks here when it's all said and done on this one spoiler alert but so so as an Eagles fan, would you have rather just seen the Saints hang on and roll into Philadelphia confident, or how do you feel about all these rumors of the Vikings who are going to host the Super Bowl here in in uh, three weeks being, quote-unquote, the team of destiny, that they had this miraculous win, now they're going into to Philadelphia, where your Eagles weren't favored last week against the Falcons. The last line I saw was supposed to be Vikings by three and a half, yeah, I, I think, well. is what I'm seeing. So everyone's already picking against your Eagles. Do you like the Vikings rolling in all on an emotional high or would you have rather had the saints just coming in confident?
0: Yes. I think the, uh, the Vikings riding in on this emotional high is actually a good thing for the Eagles. I think the Vikings don't actually match up well. Well, from an Eagles standpoint, they don't match up. Well, I think they're, they're a bad matchup for the Eagles in that they have good corners, a great secondary. Uh, and we have Nick Foles and he's going to struggle, I think against that secondary. And they have a good pass rush that can actually, I, th- I think will be able to hold its weight against the, uh, Eagles offensive line. So, I think I'm leaning towards I would have rather had the Saints facing us. But the caveat to this is that I will say that I think it's good for the Vikings to be coming in with this sort of team of destiny approach because it's going to give them an air of invincibility. I think, and they're coming into the link. Keep in mind this is a dome team now since they play indoors in Minnesota. They're coming into the link. Uh, could very well be cold. Could be nasty. Case Keenum playing in bad weather. Case Keenum's kind of a bull quarterback. I mean, remember his time in St. Louis too. Um, yeah. so he does not have a ton of experience playing outside. He's going to have to play outside. He's going to have to play when it's cold. Um, and Philadelphia's got a chip on its shoulder. This is now the second straight week in the playoffs that they've been the underdog, even coming in as the number one seed. Um, and, and this motivated, I, I, I listened to a lot of Eagles podcasts and this motivated a lot of the players this week. And they had a bunch of, um, a bunch of, you know, quotes all over their locker room from pundits and the predictors who were saying that the Falcons were going to win over the Eagles. And they turn that into motivation. So I see the same thing happening here against the Vikings. Now, do I think that means they're going to win? I mean, uh, no. I, it, with the line as close as it is, I would think I would have to go with the, uh, the Vikings. Um, but I think it's going to be a good game. And I think the Vikings coming in thinking that they are destined for the Super Bowl, destined to return to Minnesota as NFC champions, is a good thing for the Eagles because it gives them something to play for.
1: Did you buy one of these dog masks off Amazon? <laughs> oh no, I night? did. Be uh, honest. I, Be honest with me. I did
0: not. I was tempted to, though. It was pretty awesome. I don't know if you saw Lane Johnson, of course, our, our great right tackle. Uh, did a post-game interview with his dog mask on as an underdog. Yeah, I, saw
1: that. <laughs> I saw that. It uh it raised some questions from my four year old at home as well. So that's thanks to the Eagles for something else I had to awkwardly explain. Yes, Appreciate pretty, that. Pretty pretty great. <laughs> I uh I think you make some some good points with the Vikings on the road. Uh like you mentioned the Vikings are a dome team. Uh they they haven't performed exceedingly well on the road, not only this season, but historically in the playoffs that they've always underperformed on the road so that could hurt though I think where it gets interesting is the fact that I think Case Keenum is a little more cool under pressure than Nick Foles is which is insane to think about with the the history that Nick Foles has had but I like Case Keenum as the pressure mounts so if it's a close game uh, I definitely lean towards his leadership under center I think that Vikings team has gelled around him a lot better than the Eagles have gelled around Nick Foles but that's not to say that the Eagles are down and out just because of Nick Foles I think J. Jai, which we thought was a huge pickup when it happened. I think that has got to be the pickup of the year at this point midseason, uh, the fact that the, the Eagles got him, because that running game has been pretty strong since he took it over, uh, and especially with all the uncertainty under center. I really like that pickup. So I think the run game, an area that the Vikings uh, are decent but not as good as they are in the past uh, I'm sorry. On the pass defensive side, uh, I think that run game could really make a difference for Philadelphia. So that's why I, I look to see how well this Philadelphia Eagles offense is clicking. If they can start setting up the pass with a dominant run up front to start drawing in those safeties and those uh, those corners to try to stop the run, and then maybe take advantage of the Vikings downfield.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably accurate. I do, just on the point about Case Keenum under pressure, I know you were talking about pressure and just, like, emotional pressure, you know, game coming out of the wire, we're behind, and we need to claw back. But in terms of pressure, like a, a pass rush pressure, I saw a stat that in, in this game against uh, the Saints, he had a quarterback rating of 115 when he was not pressured and a quarterback rating of 5 when he was pressured. So I would say that's, that's something to keep an eye on with the Eagles huh. pass rushers, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, uh, Tim Jernigan. Um, uh, Vinny Curry, keep an eye on that matchup—the Eagles' defensive line versus the uh, Vikings' offensive line. I think that will be a key to the game. If the Eagles' pass rushers are able to have success against the Vikings' offensive line, that will swing the that could swing the balance of the game in the Eagles' favor. I think.
1: Yeah, great points. Great points.
0: Well, should we move on to garbage time?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So I I just want to spend like maybe two minutes on this, get your instant reactions. Uh, This Seth Wickersham article on ESPN, I'm sure you read it. The, uh, you know, there's intrigue in the Patriots house in uh, Gillette Stadium and uh, Kraft and Belichick and Brady are all at odds with each other. And this could be the beginning of the end for the Patriots, maybe the final year that they'll all be together, et cetera, et cetera. What do you make of this? Is there truth to this story, do you think?
1: So I'm sure there's a little truth to it in the fact that the personalities in New England have become too big for that franchise. And at this point, it is more about managing personalities than it is managing a football team. Fortunately for the Patriots, there's enough talent in that locker room, and I think enough leadership, even with all the personality disputes, that they kind of work their way through it. Uh, but there, there isn't a doubt in my mind that Belichick and Brady, who are two fiery personalities to start with, uh, are probably at each other's throats a lot of every season, not just this season. I don't really buy into the fact that Tom Brady talked Tom Kraft into forcing Bill Belichick to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Bill Belichick was a fan of Jimmy Garoppolo, but keep in mind no one gets rid of talent before he thinks that they start sliding like bill belichick does so jimmy garoppolo's had a a good couple games out in san francisco but i i really and truly think that the patriots probably made that move based on salary cap and trying to look towards the future and try to start building uh, than they did because they were trying to keep tom brady happy tom brady wants to play for another five years i don't think that's going to happen i i think that this was uh, a nice excuse for ESPN to talk about some kind of discord in the Patriots locker room because if it's not Deflate Gate, uh, or if it's not Tom Brady and Giselle yelling at reporters after the Super Bowl, we don't really have anything else to talk about because Bill Belichick doesn't tell journalists anything anymore. So I, I think that this was probably something that has been blown up way out of proportion. But at the same time, I'm sure there's a little truth to the fact that there is some discord in that locker room because the, the personalities are so big and the success has been so huge at this point over the past 15 years that, that something has to boil over right and, and we see them dropping talent left and right every year and we always question why they're doing it and guess what it always works out so i in my heart i cannot believe that tom craft would have chosen tom brady over bill belichick with that decision because craft is the guy who's going to be around this team in 10 years Belichick and Brady won't be, so do you really think he was willing to, to mortgage that future uh, based on a quarterback who I, I think we can all agree has got to be one of the top two or three of all time, but at the same time, do we really think that he would have that kind of power? I, I, I just don't buy it. I, I just don't buy it. How about you?
0: Yeah, I, I sort of uh, sided with, with you. I think, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a certain inevitability to this in that you have big egos around this organization because it's been so successful. And Kraft thinks, well, they're successful because of my money. And Belichick thinks they're successful because of my coaching. And Tom Brady thinks, well, they're successful because I'm the quarterback. And I think in any successful organization, you're going to have this, this clash of egos. I think, however, the centerpiece of the article is the Garoppolo issue, like you mentioned. And uh, the best take on this, I thought, was from Bill Simmons, who uh, has a lot of hot takes I disagree with. <laughs> but uh, on this, he's, a, he's of course a Patriots fan, so he's kind of defending the organization that he loves, which, which I, I get and can respect. But he says, you know, on the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, um, here are the six options that, that Belichick had. Uh, and keep in mind, by the way, that for some reason, unknown to me, I don't know why you do this, Garoppolo hired Don Yee, who's um, Tom Brady's agent, to be his agent yep. as well. So there was, there, was an, uh, uh, there was no way that the Patriots could make a deal behind Brady's back because Don Yee, who's Garoppolo's agent, would go and tell Brady. um. So I think Jimmy kind of shot himself in the foot trying to do that. But the options are basically trade Garoppolo, uh, lose Garoppolo next spring for, for a compensatory third-round pick. You're not going to do that. He's worth more than a third-rounder. Um, slap a franchise tag on him, but then you're stuck next year paying about $45 million for two quarterbacks. Um, uh, and then jokingly said, brainwash Jimmy, uh, poison Brady, um, or hope Brady retires. Obviously, the, the latter three are not going to happen. So but basically you're left with trade Garoppolo, lose him for a— comp- a compensatory pick not going to do that or slap a franchise tag so the choice is pay 44 million 45 million for your two QBs or trade him um, I think that I think it was as simple as that and Belichick thought well better late than never we could have gotten a first rounder for him if we did this six months ago but um, let's just get what we can now we'll get that second rounder so
1: Yeah, and and what has Belichick made his career on it's not going after high flashy free agents and I get it Jimmy Garoppolo was not a high flashy free agent he was already there but he makes his money on kind of finding those diamonds in the rough and plucking guys off the free agent wire for cheap and making them work in his system so maybe there was a Jimmy Garoppolo not working in that system more than anything else but either way it was a cute story for ESPN to run I think it was inflamed quite a bit quite a bit
0: All right, well, let's move on to the shootout, and we're going to do this a little differently today. I've got six questions for you here, uh, maybe more if we're having fun. Uh, but instead of doing our sort of take turns with a shootout question, I've got questions I'll just ask you, and these all involve the, uh, the NFC and AFC championship games. Uh, so of these, in each question, what do you think will be greater? All right, first question, you ready? Yep. All right, what will be greater? Patriots red zone efficiency, or Case Keenum completion percentage?
1: Case Keenum uh, and, and, completion and, percentage.
0: And, but, well, let me, let me uh, just caveat this. So red zone efficiency, I'm meaning any time there are points scored in the red zone versus a touchdown scored from the red zone. So if they, go, if they, if they make it to the 19-yard line and make a field goal, we'll count that.
1: Oh. I'm going to stick with Case Keenum.
0: Okay, wow. Uh, yeah, all right. Greater. Um.
1: Hot takes. Bill Simmons isn't the only one with them. Hot takes. Yeah,
0: yeah indeed. All right, Philadelphia's rushing yards allowed, so they're uh, playing the Vikings, or Alshon Jeffrey receiving yards. Now, uh, some background on this. Alshon Jeffrey's been quiet uh, until uh, the second half of this past weekend when he all of a sudden showed up and, and stepped up big time. I think he had like 61 yards in the game. Um, but rushing yards allowed by Philadelphia. Against the Vikings or Alshon Jeffery receiving yards. Which is greater?
1: Damn, you go rushing yards allowed. I just don't see Alshon Jeffery putting up more than 75, 80 yards. Uh, and I think the Vikings will get close to, we'll call it 90 95 uh, against the Eagles this weekend.
0: Okay. Here's another one. What would be greater? And this is, a, this is a little easy straight up Nick Foles passing yards or Blake Bortle's passing yards?
1: Nick Foles, without a doubt.
0: Okay. Another straight up question. Case Keenum, QBR, or Tom Brady, QBR. Keep in mind, Case Keenum, the best NFL QB and QBR over the last six games.
1: Except under pressure, as your statistics Indeed. just yep. wonderfully and pointed out. So I'll you, take Tom Brady. Oh yeah,
0: you, that's, that's a good pick. Watch out for the Philadelphia pass rush. I agree with that. See,
1: I, I listen when you talk, man. Oh, there, I really do. <laughs> All
0: right, here's one. Uh, this, I think this one's interesting. Jaguars' longest field goal or Patriots' longest play from scrimmage?
1: Patriots' longest play from scrimmage. I bet there's weather in Foxborough this weekend that makes the kicking game tough. Okay. Whether it's wind, whether it's just cold, uh, I have more faith in, or I have less faith in the kicking game.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, and this one maybe the most interesting question of all. Number of pass interference penalties against Jacksonville. So these would be, you know, Tom Brady pass attempts that uh, come down and uh, Jacksonville gets flagged for pass interference. Or the number of fourth down conversion attempts by Philadelphia. Doug Peterson has been a very aggressive coach this year on fourth yeah. down. Uh, I think he's likely to go go for it at least a couple times. So what do you think? Past, P.I. against Jacksonville or fourth down conversion attempts by Philadelphia? I like fourth
1: down conversion attempts by Philadelphia.
0: All right, good, nice. Yeah, I I, I think, though, I don't know. Maybe this is just the, uh, the skeptic in me, the Patriot hater. I, I just got to think that the Patriots are going to come away with at least two favorable pi calls against jacksonville you have aggressive cornerbacks aj Bouye and Jalen ramsey and and the jaguars and uh yeah i don't know i think uh i think we'll see i think we'll see new england get get 50 yards or so out of pi
1: It wouldn't surprise me i mean it wouldn't be the nfl playoffs without some controversy that's true very true surrounding new england right
0: well that's the that's the uh, shootout Pete. those are my questions so uh, I will keep track of these and we'll talk about them next episode. See how you did. Good. Can't
1: wait to go on six this week too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I might've heard from a couple of our Twitter followers about my
1: Owen four uh-oh, record. So <laughs> I, I hear you America and uh, the hot takes ain't changing. Sorry about it. Sorry about it. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything
0: else for uh third training this week?
1: Uh, two quick things I want to drop before we jump off yeah. for this week for our, our viewers. I'm sorry, our listeners. We are not,
0: Viewable. We haven't broken into video that. yet. That's, that's coming. Yeah, we're gonna...
1: it's, for, it's for everyone's benefit. Yeah, when worry, ESPN picks benefits. us
0: up for TV, we'll do that. But...
1: <laughs> uh, first, coming across the wire six minutes ago, so it's, uh, it's the middle of Monday afternoon here, uh, the Giants agreed to acquire outfielder Andrew McCutcheon from the Pirates. Oh, wow. I was Coles. wondering if this would
0: happen after the coal trade. Uh, yeah, so exactly. So
1: like like we talked about, I think the balance of power in baseball uh, is shifting away from the Midwest, and I get it, Pittsburgh's not a true Midwest city, but we are seeing the balance of, of baseball power return to the Northeast as well as the West Coast. So I, I think we're going to see all these AL and NL Central teams start kind of getting backed into a corner i haven't seen anything explosive from any of these midwest teams look to see if that changes up the hot stove composition i don't think andrew mccutcheon himself is enough to change the the scope of the hot stove this year but overall it's been a very interesting season for the west
0: coast yeah I totally agree i think uh in fairness though the giants have to go quite quite a ways before they they can be called any sort of uh center of power yeah, I'll agree. The The other thing I want to bring up real quick, I tweeted this
1: out on Saturday, but something else for all of our, our listeners to keep track of if they're into college basketball. So Georgia Tech's Josh Pastner, uh, who took over that program a couple of years ago, that program is really struggling this year, is embroiled in a pretty ugly civil suit right now against, against two Georgia Tech boosters, who he's known for a little while, who are accusing him of improper benefits, uh, and he's accusing them of false and patently untrue information uh, about what they are accusing him of. So he's in this civil suit back and forth. They're talking about recruits getting suspended, recruits getting improper benefits. uh, And this... Uh, Head coach at Georgia Tech, who was already under a little fire for the way that his Yellow Jackets have been performing this year, uh, suddenly is having to defend himself off the court as well as on the court uh, about how he is, quote unquote, taking care of his players as I'm reading the article uh, right now. So I don't really know how this one's going to turn out. This never seems to go well for a head coach, even if they're totally innocent of all accusations, the fact that a cloud hangs over them uh, makes it something that, that could get a little ugly for the yellow jackets going forward in a year that they're already out of ACC contention at all their RPI is so bad they've had so many ugly losses to non power five schools that I think Georgia Tech could be uh, in a little bit of upheaval going forward as they have some internal fights between boosters and their their head
0: coach on the the court yeah I think you might be right that'll be an interesting one to watch thanks for that Pete All right. Well, I think that's it for Third String Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to yet another episode. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find Pete at Pete underscore LeCleed. And I am at Zach Crippen. And until next week, thanks for listening to Third String Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.